0: the legal toolkit with jared korea with a special guest appearance and live musical performance by aaron pete lukes jared shares how to make your practice more efficient and more profitable and did i mention we've got live music on the show hell yeah but first your host jared korea it's
1: the legal toolkit podcast tune up your pedal steel guitars everyone And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I don't know what a metronome even does. I'm your host, Jared Crea. Johnny Cash was unable to guest host today because his ghost was shilling Amoco Gas. So you're stuck with me. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software Inc., we build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools to build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at GideonLegal.com. Now, before we get to our entirely unique conversation with Aaron Pete Lukes today, I want to talk to you about delegation. I don't know if we've covered this in the Cleo Legal Trends report of recent vintage. But prior CLIA Legal Trends reports have proven that law firms that are the most efficient make the most money. And that's a very interesting fact for most lawyers to learn, because I think if you ask most attorneys, they would say law firms that charge the most are the most efficient. But if you look in geographic pockets in terms of practice areas, law firms charge about the same across the board. And the real difference in how you can make the most money in a law firm is how quickly you can get work out and how much work you can accommodate. Basically, it comes down to how many widgets can you make. So, how do you perform efficiently and effectively in a law firm? Well, you've got to use workflows. You have to have processes. And you've probably heard that before. You've probably even thought it. As we've moved through the pandemic here, as I talk to more law firms, I find that people used to call me and say, I'm really inefficient, but I don't know why. And now people call me and they say, I need to add processes. I'd say that's a step in the right direction. Processes are essentially workflows, and workflows are essentially aggregations of tasks. Not too hard to configure, right? What's a workflow? If you have an estate planning practice, it's the steps you take to create those estate plans. If you have a personal injury practice, it's the step you take to settle those cases. Take any practice. Anything can be reduced to simple tasks that can be combined to move you through cases. Now, if you want to be as efficient as possible, you need to have workflows across your practice. And there are four different workflows you should have in any law firm as follows. I won't leave you hanging. You need administrative workflows. What happens outside of those substantive case areas? So let's say the printer needs more toner. Where do you buy it from? Who gets it? Who puts it in? If somebody's device breaks, who takes care of that? Who goes out and buys a new laptop? Who sets it up? Who manages the remote work policy? Any administrative item you can engage in a law practice should have a process behind it. There should be a workflow and there should be specific assignments, the people who are going to do the work. Uh, Don't worry, I'll get to that part. The second type of workflow you need in the law firm I've talked about before, just now. Those are substantive workflows. What are the steps to move forward in a case? If you're an estate planning law firm, as I talked about, what are you going to do? get the client in, sign the fee agreement, get the payment, draft the documents. Who's gonna draft the documents? Finalize the documents. Client gonna review them? When? Sign the documents. Send the documents home with the clients. Keep a copy in your safe at the office. Close the file. Maybe there's iterations of drafting. Maybe research needs to be done. There should be a task for everything and someone should be assigned to that task. And you could take any type of claim, any type of case that you could bring into a law firm, and break it down to tasks. Now, that sounds like something that may be too simplistic. Lawyers, after all, run complex businesses. But if you look at books like the Checklist Manifesto, which was super popular 20 or so years ago, even folks like surgeons who engage in very complex practices need checklists, so don't make simple mistakes. With a checklist, as a surgeon, you're not leaving sponges in people or operating on the wrong side of a body. If you're doing a complicated brain surgery and you're heavily focused on that, it's easy to make simple mistakes. And that's analogous to attorneys as well. Attorneys are doing deep thinking about cases, they're researching heavily, they're writing briefs. It's easy to make those small errors. Having checklists avoid that. Being able to delegate helps you to spread the burden around. And to do that, you need workflows, including substantive workflows for your cases. Now there's two other types of workflows that you want to look at as well. I kind of alluded to one already, and both of these could theoretically fall under substantive workflows, but I like to break them out because they're different enough that they're important to think of separately. You also want to have an intake workflow. What does the client journey look like for your practice? What are the steps that you take to take a lead and convert that lead to a client? What information do you need to present them with? How often, what steps do you need to take to get them to sign on the bottom line? Do you have an in-person meeting or not? If you have a zoom meeting, how do you schedule it? How do you finalize the fee agreement? How do you take that payment? You need to know all those steps, have a plan for that. And there needs to be a digital version of that intake process. Even if some people are going to want to utilize the analog version, you need to have a digital version to fall back on If The pandemic has taught us nothing else. It has taught us that no one wants to touch your pen. Fourth workflow, you also want to have a closing workflow. What happens when the case is closed, when the claim is done? What steps do you take to archive the information? What do you do with the documentation? Do you give it back to the client? Do you destroy it? When do you destroy it? How do you create a full electronic copy? How do you back it up? That should be part of your closing workflow. Again, four big workflows in law firms, administrative, substantive, intake, and closing. You got those. You got processes. You're moving fast. You're making more money. Now, as I mentioned before, to do this right, each of those tasks should be assigned an individual person. So you got to start delegating work. And attorneys are not particularly good at this. So how do you delegate work in the law firm? There's only three different types of tasks in any law firm. There's administrative tasks, which should be done by administrative personnel. And then there are substantive tasks, which break down into two subcategories. The first set of substantive tasks are those that non-attorneys could do. Um, Original research, creating a draft of a document. Paralegal could do that, right? And then there are substantive tasks that only an attorney should do. Formalizing a litigation strategy, finalizing documents, a meeting with clients, that type of thing. So you take those tasks, you break them down, you create your workflows, and to each of those tasks that make up a workflow, you have now defined the person who's going to handle that. And as the attorney, you are practicing at the top of your law license because you're trying to do only two things, work on the cases that make you the most money or market for those cases. Do that, add the efficiencies, you'll be all right. And in the end, your practice will be sounding and running like a symphony, remember I said that. Now, before we get to our brand new segment, with our first ever musical guest, that's right, it's Aaron Pete Lukes, let's listen to what Joshua Lennon has for us in this week's Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. I'll bet it's music to your
2: ears. Here's a fact. In 2018, only 23% of clients were open to working remotely with a lawyer. In 2021, 79% actively looked for a lawyer providing remote options. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends report. This massive shift shows that remote communications has become a real expectation amongst clients. Video conferencing in particular is becoming a popular format with over 58% of clients preferring video conferencing for their first meeting or consultation. Offering remote communication options, along with phone and in-person services, will give your firm a major advantage over others that don't. For more insights on changing expectations of legal consumers, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. As I
1: just teased, we've got a really big show for you today. In fact, we're going to try something completely different. Instead of our usual interview and rump roast segments to finish off our episodes, we're going to use this time to launch an entirely new feature, which we're calling Live from the Playroom. And it works like this. We wanted to find a way to spotlight live music during the pandemic when live music shows and venues aren't as accessible as they once were. And let's be honest, we talk about music all the time on this show, and I just want to have an excuse to do more of that moving forward. Now, you might be wondering why we're calling this Live from the Playroom. Well, that's because, as you know, we're kind of a janky operation, and this is actually being recorded in Legal Toolkit producer Evan DeSherry's Playroom, his actual playroom, not his own, but his children's. So, before I introduce our special guest, I think that I should take a moment to shout out our amazing production team at Legal Toolkit, the previously mentioned Evan Desherry, the show's producer, and our engineer, Adam Lockwood. These guys are always willing to support whatever crazy schemes I come up with, and I appreciate that. Maybe it's the pictures I have of them, but I'd like to think they do it anyway because we enjoy working together. Now, after all that preamble, let me introduce our first ever musical guest on the Legal Toolkit podcast. That's Aaron Pete Lukes, Erin is a singer, songwriter, and guitarist, currently located in Nashville by way of Redondo Beach. In 2013, she founded the bluegrass band Thunder and Rain, which disbanded at the start of COVID in 2020 when Erin moved to Nashville and started her solo career. Erin is releasing her new album, EPL, on March 4th of this year. Erin, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, this is great. So I've never actually been in Evan's house What's it like there? There aren't any like lampshades made of human skin, right? You feel safe where you are?
3: I feel pretty safe. In fact, there's like a poster on the wall that shows faces that describe <laughs> emotions and it's actually helping me, you know, because <laughs> with COVID came some social anxiety, I feel like from kind of being locked away for a year. So I, this is a helpful poster for me.
1: <laughs> Good, Evan. I knew, I knew you had said this up, right? Awesome. So Aaron, let's talk about your music because I'm a big fan of your stuff and your old band, Thunder and Rain. And I first found you guys on YouTube. So you did this bluegrass cover of the Guns N' Roses song, Sweet Child of Mine. And that video has like millions of views. And I've seen that work in other places, like the Gords did a cover of Snoop Dogg's Gin and Juice, which you wouldn't think as a bluegrass song would work, but it really does. So I wanted to ask you like, what was your thought process behind putting that together, a bluegrass spin on that song, and did you ever think it would be as popular as it was?
3: Well, it's, it's, it's a crazy story. <laughs> Basically, like I've always liked Sweet Child of Mine. I actually used to love Guns N' Roses as a teenager, I, as a yeah. middle schooler, in fact. I'd to a lot of Guns N' Roses. They're a good band. They're a great band. I loved mm. Guns N' Roses and um, loved that song always and kind of sang it, but never really thought too deeply about the song itself, the structure of it. And then, uh, one night in Canada, we were at a bluegrass festival and we were uh, jamming late at night and we were jamming that song, me and my bandmate. And then out of the shadows comes this hooded guy with a dobro, which is a steel steel lap <laughs> guitar and plays the exact slash solo of that song. And, um, that man, Chris Herps, ended up becoming our dobro player. He moved from Canada to come to Colorado and be in wow. our band and, uh, while he was in the band, he kind of taught me how to really listen to a song and really pick out all the real parts, not just play what I thought it sounded like in my head, to more mm. deeply listen to a song. And the first song we really did that was Sweet Child of Mine. And we, we just kind of had fun doing that. And then uh, my bandmate at the time, who was more involved in the business side of things, mm. he basically was like, I want to record a video of an acoustic cover that'll get us millions of views on YouTube. He said that. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, what about Sweet Child of Mine? And so we did it and like, you know, we had a lot of, we said a lot of things back then, had a lot of big plans and big dreams, but that one actually like happened. But then I was actually in the UK in 2019 with my band that wasn't all the same members, but some of them and Mm -hmm. uh, got the copyright infringement email from Universal basically like, (laughs) nope. You can't have this, and it, it had reached <laughs> six million views, and it was really, really. It, it made our UK tour amazing. We had full wow. theaters of people, and just in the middle of that tour, I got that it was taken down. And yeah, oh. we tr- we, ha- we actually talked to one of our friends who's an entertainment lawyer and a bluegrass musician, and he tried to help us out. And we just couldn't uh, get in touch with them. So Universal, talk to me. I want to know Universal. what it's gonna take. You know, Talk to Aaron?
1: Call me, me. I'm a lawyer. We'll work something now. That's crazy. So you were like, we're going to get a million views on YouTube. And you actually did. That's insane.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to uh, my old bandmate, Pete Weber. He really, uh, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. You know, we, like I said, we had a lot of big ideas, but that one just panned out. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: got got to ask you another question, which I've always wondered, and I haven't seen it anywhere. I didn't see it on your website. Did you take the name of your band, Thunder and Rain, from the lyric in that song?
3: That's another funny coincidence. I did not at all. In fact, huh. um, when I moved to Colorado and started this band, me and uh, Pete, who are the original two members, it was sort of like a baby naming, you know, we, had, we wrote down all, the, all these, I wrote, <laughs> he was at work and I just sat there because I had just moved here and didn't have anything to do and just wrote down a bunch of just random names and at the time and names were in, like Head and the Heart and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and, so I had a lot of and names, and Thunder and Rain was one of those, and he just was like, I like that one. And I was like, all right, so we, uh, we, like, went with it, basically. Oh,
1: what a crazy coincidence. I think it's a a great name for a band.
3: I think it is, too. You know, we got, uh, at first, it was a little bit like, you know, it's really hard to pick a good band name, quote-unquote. Yeah. But as the years go on, and I tell people that was my old band, people are like, oh, that's cool. And I think it fit our vibe, too, so... You know, I think it was a good, it was a good project overall.
1: My father-in-law and I always joke about starting a bluegrass band, even though we can't play any instruments, but we would call ourselves the Plucking Grass Holes. That's my name.
3: <laughs> there's actually, uh, there's a, a bluegrass band called the Grassgulls. Um
1: Yes, so. I know them.
3: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: All right, all right, I'll, I'll work on that. I gotta learn how to play any of the instruments first, but, um, so you mentioned that you and Thunder and Rain route, you did a tour of Ireland and the UK, is that right? Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, they were separate years. One year was Ireland, one year was the UK. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. And you had crowds out there, which is awesome. But then you guys broke up when COVID started, which is sad because I, I thought you were a really nice ensemble group. So, what was it like transitioning from a band to a solo career, especially when some of those circumstances weren't really related to things that were under your control?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it actually sort of, the band started to fall apart right before COVID because the newest bandmate we had was leaving us for an awesome band that I love that's actually based out of Kentucky. So now me and this old bandmate of mine both live in Nashville, which is a coincidence, but <laughs> he left the group and that, then we were just like three and it was really hard for me to figure out who, usually this fourth person was always rotating and we had always had no problem filling that space. It seemed always... Oh, Oh, yeah, you're the next in line. There was, like, no one next in line. And then the pandemic hit, and then my mandolin player was sort of like, you know, he was sort of like, the COVID showed a lot of people what they wanted to do and what they didn't want to do. And at that point, you know, because of the pandemic, like, I held back on, like, getting a dog forever, and I got one in COVID because I realized that I didn't know (laughs) what my career was going to do or, like, what my life was going to be like. So it was, uh, it sucked to let it go. It kind of, like, I just... It was a slow letting go over the whole summer of 2020. And then, uh, but that's the only reason why I moved. Not the only reason, but that's, if the band hadn't disintegrated, then I would have never moved to Nashville because I was, the band was my baby, my everything. So, Mm. so it's pending on how it's going because I'm still just (laughs) figuring out how it feels to be solo. Yeah.
1: Hey, when one door closes, another opens. Speaking of which, I've made you talk a lot, but I think you're great at singing as well. So you've been kind enough to agree to do a couple songs for us. So you're going to do one right now, and I'm going to shut up for a little bit.
3: Okay, cool. Yeah, I will shut up too and just sing, because I actually talk way too much. Um,
1: (laughs) No, this is great.
3: (laughs) I love podcasts, by the way, so I'm just very stoked (laughs) to be on a podcast. Um,
1: Excellent.
3: um, yeah, this I'm gonna play this song. This is off my album that's coming out in March, and uh, this song is really it's like a fun end of the world song. And I'm writing from the perspective of like a, a prepper. And oh wow, that's I an really, interesting cut. A yeah. fun
1: end of the world song. I'm intrigued.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I, it really has no like I'm really not talking about anything in particular. So you can interpret okay. it however you want, but this is just what I would think it would feel like to be a, a prepper at the end in the end times. And it's called Piece
4: of Land. Mm-hmm. Call him old fashioned for counting his rations. But don't need permission to fall asleep beside his ammunition. The gun is cocked and ready. Kitchen stocked with canned spaghetti dotted him over Killing time in the new world order Look ma, the sky is falling I'm prepared and I've got plans I can hear the trumpets calling like a clear command I got me a gun and a piece of land Dividing on its own volition, it spread through the nation With the president on vacation, no man is an island Until the last nail will soon be driving Look ma, the sky is falling, I'm prepared and I've got plans I can hear the trumpets calling, got a steady hand no time for stalling I'm prepared and I've got plans I can hear the trumpets calling Like a clear command I got me a gun and a piece of land I got me a gun and a piece of land Whoa. One last look around Let's take a Dust to settle in. Look, ma, the sky is falling. I'm prepared and I've got plans. I can hear the trumpets calling like a
1: That was amazing what a cool song very well done thank you is that on the new album that's yes. one of the tracks mm-hmm. nice all right thanks for that again Aaron. that was a great song now if you want to learn more about doomsday preppers uh, just kidding there's no way i could link this here's some more information from our sponsors and we'll come back in a second with more talk with Aaron pete lukes and another song partner with rankings.io the marketing agency for law firms that want results not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. com/contracts to set up a call with a real live person, DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Simplify With Cosmolex the only fully integrated practice management solution, everything you need accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's money finder, reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. All right, so let's get back to the interview part. So you started the solo career... You moved to Nashville, you had vocal surgery as well, I read on your Kickstarter, yes. and you're still trucking. Yep. So like, how do you convince yourself amidst all this craziness that's going on in the world to like stick with it and continue to pursue your dream?
3: At this point, I feel like it is the thing that holds me to the earth. Like this is what keeps me grounded and it is my life's purpose and mission. Whenever I go through, like everything in my life changes, I'll move, I'll, you know, something will happen with a friend or like with a job or whatever, no matter what, like this has kept me happy and Mm purpose-filled. So, and it's just never, I've never stopped. So I just don't know what else to do at this point. This is just what I'm going to keep doing.
1: Awesome. Good for you. Now you're in Nashville, which must be really cool. Country music capital of the world. You probably see a lot of crazy, great musicians down there lots of influential people in the music industry has being there like changed your music style at all like have you gone in different directions or explored new things since you've been living there
3: um yes because i would say just like there's so many different kinds of musicians whereas in colorado i was really in the bluegrass scene which is i love the scene here and it feels like home but in nashville it's like wow i can really work with i could go to someone's house and make like a total pop you know, track, you know, just me on yeah. the computer and me singing into a mic or something like, or, uh, you know, I can have a bluegrass band that I play with and I can have my more rock band that I play with. And I just feel like there's a lot of options. There's also just like, if your fiddle player has gone, there's 10 more. So just try to get the one that's not on the road and, uh, try to nail them down. And it's just, it's fun. It's, it's literally feels like a playground.
1: That's amazing. Um, yeah. Now you're not in Nashville right now. You're out in Colorado.
0: Mm-hmm. After
1: you leave Evan's house, you're going to a music festival. So can you talk a little bit about the music festival you're going to, and yes. just generally like what's the current state of live music right now?
3: Well, it's iffy. It's like some people. It's weird. I feel like some bands are like unscathed and just mm-hmm. like keep going, and their shows don't get canceled. I mean, everyone's shows have gotten canceled at some point. Everybody's. Yeah. yeah. But it just seems like some bands are more resilient than others. And some venues are more resilient than others. And, like, it's it's just... I've seen a lot of people I admire, their shows get canceled. But then I also see a lot of people I admire, like, somehow are able to go through with all their tours. So I don't know if it's just mm-hmm. luck or policy of the team, of the artist. Yeah. Who's more willing to actually go out and risk getting COVID? Because the thing is, like, as I've gotten COVID twice and I am, you know like properly concerned about it and taking measures to protect myself, but I'm just out in the world. So right, like, and, right. and I, I could, I can't stay at home. I could, because live streaming just doesn't quite get it done for me, you know? And so you kind of, as a musician, you weigh this risk of like, I'm going to go out in the world and play for people And it's going to be amazing, but it's also going to be risky. And it's just another risk added to touring. That is also already very risky. Um, Right. So musicians are kind of crazy people anyway. So I feel like, but I honestly feel like, I think there's people who are really, really down about it. I'm personally fine because I wasn't in that middle to upper tier that's really affected by it. The the big, big artists are unaffected. They're fine. These, like, artists that are pretty kind of, like, on the rise are, like, just starting to come up. I feel like their come-ups were a little bit screwed up, some of them, and that's kind of sad to see.
1: That makes sense. But you're out at a festival this week, so you want to tell us a little bit about that festival that you're playing? Yeah, so
3: it's um, it's pretty COVID safe because it's an outdoor festival in January in Golden, Colorado, which sounds absolutely insane, and it is, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I lived in Golden for my, almost my whole seven years of living in Colorado, and Golden is, like, my... Town. I recorded a whole video or I made a whole music video based on my love of golden. I just love that town. And, uh, the town, you know, the townies, we have a whole group (laughs) down there. We like to go to the brewery. We like to hang out, pick bluegrass. And, uh, we just like, when I first got to town, they started this bluegrass festival called Ullergrass. that's outdoors and everybody dresses like Vikings and we drink beer (laughs) and play bluegrass. And it's been going for like seven or I think maybe this is the eighth year. Um, And I haven't missed one yet. I didn't. I wasn't there last year, but I did perform virtually.
1: Wow! I feel like I need to go to Golden. It sounds like Nirvana.
3: Yeah, Um, it's very cool.
1: Why the Vikings? Like that's so random.
3: Because it's a winter outdoor (laughs) festival, so it's kind of like. You get, it's uh, dressing up like a Viking is pretty warm. You wear furs and you wear hats with horns and it's kind of a warm costume. And like, literally there's just everywhere you go at this festival, everyone's got Viking helmets and you you can't go three steps without someone putting like a Viking helmet on your head and everyone's just drinking like (laughs) mugs of beer in the snow. So it's just a whole vibe.
1: This is good. so we've talked about Doomsday Preppers, we've talked about Vikings. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this is the direction we were going to take, but you got one more <laughs> song for us. to so yes. let you play again before we finish up here.
3: Okay, cool. I hope um, that you know that's what your listeners wanted to uh, hear about.
1: They love this stuff, right? Everybody, <laughs> yeah, they love it.
3: Um, one of my best friends in the world, who I p- pick bluegrass with. Um, and have for many years is just started his journey of becoming a lawyer. So Mark MD, you will listen to this podcast. I'll make you shout out to you. And uh, maybe I'll have you call Jared sometime if you want to talk about lawyer stuff. Because yes, you seem oh, like you know what you're great. talking about, right? <laughs>
1: I know my stuff. Yeah.
3: <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, this this last song is, I, it's kind of a pandemic song because I wrote it at the beginning of the pandemic when our UK tour got canceled. We had a second one planned. It got canceled, and that was the most upset I was and have been about show cancellations. Ever since then, I'm pretty, pretty laissez-faire about it. But this UK tour, I yeah. was really, really sad to lose, and uh, I'm still sad about it. But I sort of wrote a cathartic song for myself to tell myself that everything happens in its own time. So this is called "Loneliness or Solitude." Uh,
4: and sure Never did I want you more Never did I mourn the drum of your heartbeats one by one The universe is stretching out Grows a little more with every hour from your side So I'll stare into the great divide So I'll stare into the great divide Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The blackest crow there ever was true is this loneliness or solitude is this loneliness or solitude
1: that was super awesome cool that was great
3: thank you I like,
1: uh, I like the little solo you had in there as well is that like a little Irish thing you did there totally it was a little, yeah. t-
3: little Galloway girl sort of a little tiny reference yeah
1: that was awesome thank you that's on the new album or yes, is it a is. prior release oh yeah. look at this alright so hey how could you not get this new album listen to those two phenomenal songs Aaron. thank you this was really awesome I appreciate you sincerely coming on and trying this out with us I thought it went great
3: thank you Thank you so much. And to the whole team, everybody just got me here and set me up and just thank you all so much. I had so much fun.
1: All right. Listeners, next week, we'll be back to our regular format, but don't get too comfortable because we're definitely going to do this again. This is fun. So Aaron Pete Luke's new album, EPL, is coming out March 4th. Buy it via the streaming service of your choice Or visit Aaron's own website Which is com. So that's E-R-I-N-N-P-E-E-T-L-U-K-E-S So Aaron with two N's and Pete P-E-E-T Now, as we roll credits Let's take a listen to the latest single from Aaron's new album Country music breaks your heart Don't it though?